0: Alright. Good morning church. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Uh, God is with us so we're always good, aren't we? Because he is there. Let's pray together we'll jump into the word today. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for this time to just, to just have fellowship with you, to just worship you, to just be at peace with you, Lord. God as we finish this book of Habakkuk today, we pray that you would just work on our hearts, help us to see you more God as we see your message here that you are you are working on us. God we pray that we would we would just be able to trust in you, be able to give ourselves over to you to let you work to let you move Lord God and and uh, God we just thank you for everyone here we pray that you would fill our minds. And anoint us with your spirit today. God, I pray as I preach, it would be your word that goes out. I would become less and less. You would become more and more, Lord, as we give you all the glory and honor and praise, Lord, for this day and this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see some new faces who maybe weren't here last week. Uh, We started... I'm doing a two-part series of these two um, times I'm filling in to preach here uh, on Habakkuk. And the book of Habakkuk, as I've said last week, doesn't seem like one of those books that we're like, oh, I just can't wait to read the book of Habakkuk. But it's such a powerful book, and we kind of saw that last week of, of what God shows us in this book. It's one of those books that it, we, we might miss it, um, but it's so important because it really shows this relationship of this prophet Habakkuk as he wrestles with God. And that's what we talked about last week. He's He wrestles with God and in that wrestling we see a lot of ourselves of calling out to God to bring justice for the injustice we see. And then we don't like the answer that God gives. That's what Habakkuk was dealing with. He called out to God for justice and then God said, I'm going to bring the Babylonians to wipe out your nation, and then there'll be justice. And his response was, I don't really like that answer. <laughs> it's a lot like us. We call out to God to do something. He says, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm already doing something. And we said, that's not what I had in mind. We see that a lot. And so that's what's going on with Habakkuk. And, and so as we finish chapter 2, we hear Habakkuk's complaint to God after he calls out on God saying we need justice our, uh, uh there's injustice in our land and God says okay I'm going to rise up the Chaldeans which is synonymous with the the nation of Babylon I'm going to rise them up and they're going to wipe you guys out take you into captivity and and Habakkuk's response to that is that's that's not what I meant why why would you bring up a nation worse than us To teach us a lesson. Um, And then that was his complaint. And he says, I will stand by my watch posts and I'll wait to hear what God has to say uh, to answer me, to really, uh," he says, to reprove me. So he knows he's arguing with God. And instead of God responding back, how dare you tell me what I can and cannot do? God says, don't worry, I hear you. The righteous will live by faith. You, Those who have faith in me, they will be saved. And so that's kind of what we ended on last week. And so now we're in chapter 2, and we're going to start with that first verse there. We're going to start with chapter 2, verse 4. Now we're going to read through the end of the book here. So we got a lot of verses in 30 minutes, so it's probably going to be 40 minutes. Um, and as we get through this, I think we just see a lot in this scripture and, and, uh, that teaches us about our relationship with God. So as, as we read, we jump to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and we read the words that many of us know. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith by faith. So we want to start here as we as we move into the the end of this book, this verse right here is the most important verse in this in this book and really one of the most important verses in scripture. It's actually quoted for us three times in the New Testament, and each time we see this verse it explains what it means in a different context. And so I want to go through those those quotes from the New Testament about This verse right here, the righteous shall live by his faith. First time we see it, or one of the most important times is in Romans 1, 17, or 16 and 17. The word says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here we have the first context that we see this word given to us in the New Testament, explaining more of what that word really means. And and it's important here, he says, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile or to the Greek, because the, the word of God was first given to the Jewish people in Israel and then was given to the Gentiles. And so that's why we're reading Habakkuk, which was written for those in Judea. And we hear this word, it says... I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So right here we already are starting to see a different context, a different light. In Habakkuk, that word was given to Habakkuk to tell him, the righteous, those who have faith in me are the righteous, and they will survive this coming doom Here we have God say through Paul in Romans that you are actually saved. Salvation comes by this understanding. The righteous shall live by faith. You are given life by faith. Just like Habakkuk was told, you will live by faith. A remnant will survive. Those who believe in me, they will survive. Here we have God saying again, those who believe in me, they will live by their faith, their trust in me. Again, we see in Galatians 11 the same thing. It says it's evident that no one is justified by, before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. This is the second time it's quoted in the New Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. No one is justified by God by the law. And that term justified is that term just as if you've never sinned. It's this idea of being right before God. You can stand before God and he says your sins are paid for you are right. It says no one is justified by God by the law. The law is the Old Testament, the law, the legal standing before God that, that, that none of us could live up to. Instead, it says the righteous shall live by faith. You are justified by faith. And it goes on in that verse, and I'll just read this here. It says, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So again, we see this idea that we are made alive by our faith. We are saved. We are justified. We stand before God as righteous, not by our own righteousness, not by works, but by this idea of faith, having faith in God. We are literally given faith or we are given life by our faith instead of death. And then Hebrews ten thirty eight is the third time this is quoted in the New Testament. And in there we read, The righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So not only are we saved by this faith, by this faith in God gives us life, we are actually living in that faith. We are not of those who shrink back because of our faith. God has made us alive, and we walk in that new life. And so this term, this idea from Habakkuk is being flushed out, this idea that we are actually saved and we are given life through faith in God. And we are actually walking in that faith. Living by that faith is, is not only what makes us alive, but it's what continues our life, is our faith in the Lord. And it all is pointing to this really important verse, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So that's the idea that we see In Habakkuk that continues on into the New Testament continues on into what Jesus told us that we are saved by faith that as we have faith in God we are saved not by our own work but by grace it's not our own doing it's a gift of God in fact faith itself is a gift of God we talked about that this morning about is not believing a work that gets you to heaven No, repentance isn't I'm gonna stop sinning and start doing something else. Repentance, this idea of turning to God is this mindset of my mind has been changed. I now have faith in God and in return, he has given me life. I have faith in the giver of life. So what the New Testament teachers are teaching us is the same idea that we see in Habakkuk. It's this idea of a continuing trust in God a continuing clinging to his promises, clinging to his word, clinging to who God is even in the darkest times. That's this idea of life in God by faith. We have life because of our faith and that's so important. And so we see that when we dive into this, this word here from Habakkuk, we start with this idea that God is calms Habakkuk and he says, do not worry, the righteous will live by faith. And we see how spiritually deep that is as we see the New Testament, we are made alive by our faith in God. And it's important to start there because the justice of God is coming and that's what we begin to read in Habakkuk. God's justice is coming. The righteous have life by faith. They are rescued. They receive salvation. Yes, in this, in this physical moment in Habakkuk, the, the Jewish remnant will have salvation by trusting in God. And in a spiritual context, we have salvation by trusting in Jesus for our salvation. Because the justice of God is coming. And so we see this here in verses five through the end of the chapter, we see God's response to Habakkuk as he says my justice is coming do not worry my justice is coming against evil and it's laid out for us in these five woes against Babylon five woes against evil God's justice is coming against evil and it's when we begin to read this we see the spiritual aspect that this has so much to do in the spiritual realm as well we have life in Christ which saves us from God's wrath and justice that's coming against evil. And so here we, we read this in verses 5 through 20. It says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, And then we get into these woes. So we start off with God saying, the righteous will live by faith, but the one who is proud, his soul is puffed up within him. And in this context, he's talking about Babylon that is going to be the tool God uses to bring justice to Judea. But God will also bring justice to Babylon because they are evil. And so we see these woes. The first woe is a a woe against aggression. Verse six, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. So we begin to see these woes that God is condemning Babylon just as god is going to bring justice on judea he's bringing it on babylon god is a god a good god of and he's a just god and we'll see that here and, and we see these woes unfold against babylon and they're really proclamations of what's going to come against babylon and they all came true number 2 the second woe is against self assertion woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to his to set his nest on high To be safe from the reach of harm, to have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples, you have fortified your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork responds. And now we see a lot of imagery as we read through this, but it's a full declaration of God's justice against the evil that is represented in Babylon. The third woe is a woe against violence. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city of iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely by for for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This woe against violence and it says Woe to him who builds his town on blood and he closes off the first three woes with this declaration that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we see the, we see God acting in this moment. Woe four is a woe against huma- inhumanity. Woe to him who makes his neighbors his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze upon their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup is in the Lord's right hand and will come around to you and utter shame will come upon you, upon your glory. The violence done in Lebanon will overwhelm you as will destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence in the earth to the cities and all who dwell in them. That's the woe of inhumanity, especially against your neighbors, those around you, those who who Babylon overcame and and conquered and, and treated unjustly. And then we have the fifth woe, woe against idolatry. What prophet is an idol? When, it makes, when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. So we had a lot of scripture there, a lot of uh, huge declaration in this chapter. And there are woes against Babylon. This nation that really represents evil. As we read in the the revelation of what's to come, the great evil nation is is connected to this term Babylon. If we've read through the book of Revelation, we see that Babylon is a representation of man who is not following God, but who worships himself. He becomes his own God. So Babylon is really this connection in a spiritual sense to just evil. As what evil is. And each woe is, is a to- Each woe, we, we can get into the details of this, and if I had more time, we could talk about it. But the woes are against evil, to the, the totality of evil, the totality of injustice, the totality of sin. God is saying there is woe coming, there is justice coming towards this. And it really connects to this world that we're in right now. See, we, we have life in God, and we're saved, and we have this joy in a, a song we are singing, righteousness, joy, love, peace. But we look in the world around us, and we see injustice, we see evil, we see brokenness, and we wonder, what is God doing? And that's what Habakkuk was wondering. He says, you're going to bring this Babylon, this nation, and we, we saw what, how he described Babylon last week, this nation that, that would kill people and put their skulls in their walls. This kind of nation that followed after Assyria. It says, you're going to bring them up against us to teach us a lesson? And, and what God's saying is, no, I am a just God, and I am bringing justice on everything that is evil. And why is he doing this? Why is he able to do that? That's that last verse. Verse 20. Because God is God. Only he is able to enact just, justice against the injustice verse 20 but the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silent before him see our god is truly god and because he's truly god he's sovereign because he's truly god he is perfect and good and that's a that's a a really powerful argument when people talk about who god is he must be good He must be perfect because what a shadow is, what what evil is, it is the absence of good. It is an infection upon good. So God must be good and perfect. Otherwise, he's not God. He's something that is altered. So God is good and perfect. And if God is good and perfect and sovereign and above everything and and just this beauty, then he must be just. He must bring justice against what is not beautiful, sin. Sin evil and his word to us is he is lord he is yahweh he is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silent before him because only god is the one who can judge what is good and what is wrong and he will bring his justice and let us keep let the earth keep silent before him this is the attitude we are to have before such a sovereign god who is just We are to submit. We are to be patient in faith, silent before God. Be still. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. Be still. So we see Habakkuk wrestling with God, saying, God, why haven't you brought justice? And God says, I am hear my word, you, the righteous, will live by faith. In fact, as we see in the New Testament, you will actually be saved by your faith in me. But I'm going to bring justice on what injustice there is. So Habakkuk's wrestling with God and he hears God. And we begin to see this change being made in Habakkuk's heart where God says, let all the earth be silent before me. It's almost like he's saying that to Habakkuk himself. Just be silent before me. I know it's hard. I know things are confusing. I know this world seems broken. Things are happening that shouldn't happen. Be silent before me. We see God guiding Habakkuk. Instead of rebuking him for arguing with him, he says, I am bringing my justice against evil. Stand in silence. God is sovereign. He will bring justice to all that is wicked, all that is evil, but the righteous will live by faith. And the righteous will live by faith in Him. So we know that we are to live by faith that God's justice is coming against what is evil and that we are just to be still. We must be still and trust in Him that He is doing a good work. And we must know that God is also working for the salvation of his people. That's what we see here in chapter 3. Chapter 3, we we open up this book and we we hear Habakkuk's response to what was just said to him. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, chapter 3, verse 1, according to Shaganeroth, which is probably referenced the type of poem he's praying says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk hears what God has said, and his response is, God, do your work. Come now in the power you have come before. Here we begin to see Habakkuk's, now he's, instead of fighting back with God in frustration, now he's moved to a point of, okay, God, I'm trusting, do your work. I'm calling on you to do your work. It's actually a call of revival. He says, God, I know what you've done. I've heard this report of what you've done before. I ask that you would do that work again. And we see this vision of, that God gives him. In verse three, we see this vision. He sees this vision that God shows him of, of what God can do. God came from Taman, the Holy One from the Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Taman means the southern land where Israel met God. That It's a reference to Mount Sinai. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there veiled his power. Before him... Went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. There's no escaping God as He moves in His coming. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were ever. His were the everlasting ways. He stood and measured the mountain. The eternal mountains were scattered. God is deliberate in His actions. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. All the tribes are before God. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? See. Habakkuk begins to see this vision he's 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 praying this prayer saying god i I know what you've done before, and he begins to recite what God has done, the vision of seeing God move in the past and how he desires for God to move now. What's the purpose of God moving? look at the the picture given of God and remember this is much of this is figurative language he says when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation your chariot of salvation it's a picture of God bringing deliverance for his people you stripped the sheath from your bow calling for many arrows you split the earth with rivers He's precise. When God decides to act, it's not an uncontrolled force that just happens. God is saying, I am moving. A divine act of God, like, point, like aiming a bow. The mountain saw you and ride. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear. At his movement. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. And here's the crux of this vision. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his world warriors. You came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoice as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. So here we have another long statement from Habakkuk or in the book of Habakkuk. And in this we see a vision, a vision of what God has done and what Habakkuk is calling on God to do again, to move like he did in the past and to do it now. He begins with that call on God. He says, God, in verse two, he says, God, in the midst of the years, revive your work Make it known in wrath, remember mercy, do your work, move in your work, and what work is that? It's this work of, of moving for the salvation of his people. See Habakkuk's calling on God to revive his work. This idea of revival is important here. I have a, a word from Spurgeon that, that I think really illustrates this idea of revival and what why it's important in our lives. The decline of revival is a great testing season. It discovers the true believers by chilling the false. A frosty night or two suffices to nip all the exotic plants of a garden, but the hardy shrubs, the true natives of the soil, live on, even in the severest cold. Converts raised up in the hotbed of excitement soon droop and die if the spiritual temperature of the church falls below summer heat. What are the worth compared? What are these worth compared with the hearty children of divine grace, whose inward life will continue enduring vigor when all around is dead? Yet we do not desire to see revival spirit droop among us. For even in the evergreens of our garden, delight in a warmer season. For then they send forth their shoots, their shoots, and clothe themselves with new leaves. And thus it will be seen that the best of the saints are all the better for the holy glow of the times of refreshing. So in this call, Habakkuk is calling out for a revival of God's work because those who are like those shrubs who are hiding in the ground are waiting for God to work. The others who who were there in the time when God was strong, in the time of Josiah, when, when God was bringing back his law to the people, and they shot up and they said, yes, we believe and the moment Josiah died and a bad king came in they turned away but those who have faith hold on and they call out for revival because in revival we are refreshed and that's what God's do or that's what Habakkuk's doing he's calling out for God to manifest himself again like he did of old God's actions of old are the basis for Habakkuk saying, Do this again. Revive your work again. That's so much like us in our lives. We say, God, what's happening now? I want to see what you did before. What we re- begin to see is that this is part of Habakkuk wrestling with God. He's saying, look, this right now is not good. God, revive us. We are these, we are these shoots in the ground where everything is frozen God, do your work like you did before, like, like you brought your voice to Mount Sinai, like you split the sea, like you moved the tribes out from before you. You rode on your chariot of salvation for the salvation of your people. Do it again. In our life, we do that too. When we wrestle with God, when we hold faith in God and we struggle with things, what seems to get us through those hard moments is we have to remember what God has done. In times when I've struggled now, as a Christian, as I've been a Christian for 11 years and trust in the Lord since I was 16, I remember in these moments of my life when I'm struggling with God, when I'm, when I'm fighting with God or things aren't right or I'm angry or I'm, something's going on in my life that just makes me want to turn away from God because He's just not helping me. I remember what God did. For me as a child, for some reason, I'm always brought back to this moment where I, was, where I was 10 years old. I was struggling with my depression. I was struggling with my OCD. I was on my bathroom floor crying. I didn't want to keep going anymore as a 10-year-old. I didn't know who God was. I knew he was the God of my parents. I remember crying out to God. I said, God, if you're real, help me. I remember a washing of strength came over me. I remember pushing myself up. And and he began to bring victory in my mind, in my life. And so I remember that moment when I'm going through something now. I'm like, God, I know your strength because you showed it to me when I was 10. Show it to me again now. I need that now. And I think that's what Habakkuk's doing here. And he's remembering something so important about God that God in all his doings and all his works, he's moving in this world for the salvation of a people for himself. Let's read that verse again. Habakkuk 3.13 says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. When God moves, he moving for the salvation of his people. In this world, that's what God's doing. He's acting as he always has for his people, bringing them to himself for his glory. He saves us not because of anything we've done, but because of his own glory and his own love with which he loved us. He saved us. And that's how God works. That's what he's doing. As he does things in this world, we might not understand it, but he's bringing a people to himself so we can enjoy him for eternity. He's refining that people for himself. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 10 says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but sharing the sufferings of the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Lord and Savior who abolished death and brought life and immortality, eternal life to light through this gospel. I have other verses here that really talk about this, but we don't have a, a, a lot of time. We see that this is true of who God is. He is saving a people for himself. That's how, that's how he works in this world. He is a God who saves, who desires all people to come to him. 2 Peter 3.9 shows this desire of God. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is desire God has. And we know Romans 8, 28. For God is working, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So God is working in this world for our salvation. He's working for his people to save his people. This is what he's said to Habakkuk. This is what Habakkuk remembers in chapter 3. He says, "God, I know what you've done, how you went out for the salvation of people, and you're still doing that today." So we must trust in God as our strength even through the turmoil. That's where Habakkuk comes to. He hears what God has said. He sees the oncoming mark. If this vision, he remembers what God has done and he sees this vision of what God is going to do, that God is going to work. And his response, even in the face of the turmoil he is facing, even in the moment of struggle in his life, he rejoices and rests in God. That's what verse 16 says. Says, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. He sees this vision, he's invokes this fear, this fear of what God can do. And he says, I will wait quietly and patiently for the day of trouble to come upon Babylon. He's going to wait for the plans of the Lord. And then we get to verse 17 and 18. Even though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit on the vine, nor there be fruit on the vines. Even if the olives fail to produce, even if there, the fields have no food to yield, even if the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So we see what God's doing here. Habakkuk struggles with God saying there's injustice. God says, okay, I'm going to bring justice. And Habakkuk says, it's frustrating. I don't understand what you're doing. And God says, I, the righteous will live by faith. My justice is coming. And Habakkuk's only response is, even when everything is broken, even when this justice of, of upon Judah comes, as Babylon comes and wipes us out, we have no food. That, that term, the fig tree should not blossom, is a term we see in Jewish literature that means Everything is dead. Even when my life is filled with dead and I am broken, I am cut off. The wrath of God, it fills is upon me. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. When God begins to work, even if it's in a way that Habakkuk doesn't understand, all he can do is trust that God is working for his salvation. God's act of salvation for his people leads the prophet to rejoice. Even in the times of turmoil, he is moved to rejoice. His original questioning of God is answered by this declaration of God's sovereignty when God says, Be still. Let all the earth be silent before me. See, Habakkuk, in this book, we begin to see he is moved From this place of confusion and frustration and I would say a place of fear to a place of faith. He will trust in the Lord and rejoice because he knows that everything God does as we see here is he is moving to save his people. It might not look like it, but he is moving to save his people to bring a people to himself to enjoy a relationship with him for his own glory. He rejoices because that's all he can do. He can trust that God is moving for his salvation. And because of that, he can rest in the strength of God in those times of turmoil. Verse 19. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. See, God's conversation with Habakkuk has changed Habakkuk's heart from that place of fear to that place of faith, from that place of frustration and anger to a place of just trusting in God's strength, knowing that even if this world is broken, even if everything is dead, even if everything around me is not making sense. I know God is good and he is working for the salvation of his people so I can just rest in him. And I think that's what God does in our lives. And I think that's what this book really teaches us, that we, wrestle with, we, we need to wrestle with God like Habakkuk wrestled with God. We need to cling to God so that he begins to change our hearts from a place of fear to a place of faith. You know, we don't get it right. We're, we're sinful people. We mess up all the time. I especially mess up all the time. But I just need to hold tight to God knowing what's happening around me is nothing compared to God himself. I think God worked on the heart of Habakkuk and that's what He doesn't. he wishes to do in our lives. We're like clay that needs to be molded and I think that's what happened with Habakkuk. He was this clay that needed to be molded and he started from a place of hardness as clay as it dries out it gets hard and you can't work it you can't craft anything with it and it needs to be molded into what God God is doing what God wants it to be and how do you mold clay my mom you my mom likes to do crafts and stuff what do you have to do to clay to get it to move after it's dried you pour in, water on it I think that's so important for us. We need to live under the living water of Christ. We need to, as clay, be molded by God. We need to give ourselves over to God to let that water wash upon us. And sometimes even that clay is so dried out that it needs to be crushed and broken down a little bit and let the water pour over it so that it can be molded again to something useful. I think that's what happens with us. That's this battle that Habakkuk has had. He's giving himself over to God, and God is molding him as he's clinging to God, wrestling with God. He's clinging to him, and God begins to mold him. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, because he loves you. As we come to the end of this book, my question is, do we need to have this kind of conversation with God with things in our life? Are there areas in our life that we just we just are so okay just being in our own mindset about When really God wants to mold us, change us, work on our hearts so that way we are no longer in this place of fear and frustration and anger and confusion and not understanding what God's going to do. And instead, let God mold us to a place where we can just trust and have faith knowing that He is working things out for His purpose. And His purpose for us is to save us to redeem us, to bring us into His heavenly kingdom? Do we need to have our hearts changed like Habakkuk's heart was changed? Because that's what this book is about. It's about Habakkuk wrestling with God, clinging to God, and God changing his heart as he held to him. God moved him to a place of faith and rest when he was fighting with God in this place of fear and anger. And that's what happened in him. He trusted in the truth that, yes, I have life by God. I am made alive by God. I have salvation because I have faith. I believe in God. And because of that, no matter what happens around me, I can trust in him. I think that's the kind of relationship we're supposed to have with God. Clean To God trusting God holding to him even wrestling with him because in wrestling with him what we're doing is we're we're putting ourselves under that water of life we are allowing him to mold us we're allowing him to move us we're allowing him to shape us and there's areas of our life that maybe we still are like this is mine that we need to hand over to him and let him change our hearts So that we can have this revival happen in our hearts, this revival in our souls, as we can see God start to move and we can enter those high places. Habakkuk says, The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. He brings me to the high places. Habakkuk knows that if he's so focused on himself and his frustration and confusion and not knowing what God's doing, he's stuck here in the valley of the shadow of death. But when he can trust in the Lord God, when he has faith in God and he just trusts in God's salvation, that God is moving for his salvation, that what God does is to save his people, that he can have faith in God. And when he has faith in God, he can climb that mountaintop. He can stand on the top of the mountain in the joy of the Lord, even when everything around him is burning down. He can stand on that mountaintop. He might not get it right all the time, but he can stand on that mountaintop that high place, and have joy in the Lord and be at peace. No matter what's going on here, he knows his God has saved him and given him life, and that's what we have in the Lord Jesus. We have life by the blood of the Lamb. He died for us so that we may live, and now we stand in that life. We, yes, we get caught up in our fear. But if we would just start to trust and say, God, you saved me. You must love me. All I can do is trust you. When we do that, we move from that place of fear to faith, from trying to control everything to submitting to God, from a place of darkness in the valley to a place of joy with Jesus on the mountaintop. Yeah, let's wrestle with God because as we do it, We learn to trust Him. We see that everything He's doing is because He wants a people for Himself, for His own glory, because He loves us. Isn't that amazing? So I hope this has been an encouraging book for us. As we've studied this book, we see that as Habakkuk wrestled with God, didn't understand what God was doing, but God moved him from that to a place of just resting in God And in that rest, he found joy. Even when everything died, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Let's do that. Even when everything around us seems like it's breaking down, let us take joy in the God of our salvation because he is the God of salvation. The righteous will live by faith, we are saved, so we can trust in his salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you for for this prophetic book. I know there's so much in here, and we can just dive into each of these each of these passages and and spend weeks here, but it's important for us to see this what you've what you've showed us in this book. That when we start in this place of fear and anger and, and, and confusion, that's okay. Because as we call out to you in our relationship with you, as we call out to you, say, God, you are the only true God. Help. We can trust that you are already doing a work and that everything you do as we see this vision of Habakkuk, he sees that what God had done in the past was to save a people and he calls on you to do it again, to save your people. And we know that all became manifested. It all became true. It all pointed to that cross of Christ when you redeemed us from our sin, the ultimate salvation we needed and gave us true life in you. And now we can stand in that true life and just trust you. And as we trust you, God, we pray that you would bring us to that mountaintop where we can rejoice, where we can say, even if everything around me is crushed, I will rejoice in my Lord because he is the God of my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for being our God of our salvation because now we know no matter what happens, you have saved us and one day we'll be able to stand in the fulfillment of that salvation in glory where all our, our humanness will be washed away, our, our flesh will be washed away and we will stand in, with you in glory and understand the power of that salvation and what it did. Thank you God for doing this. Thank you for your work in our life. I pray for everyone here that God if you if they have still come at a place where they they can't fully trust you. They can't fully give their heart to you. I pray you would move as you showed us that you would fire that arrow into their heart that they would see that you are moving because you wish to save those who are lost that you love us and wish to save us. We are not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Lord God Help us to give our hearts over to you if we haven't. And those of us who have, help us to continue to have faith in you because it's only then will we have joy when we're really trusting in you, believing that you are the God of our salvation. It's only then that we can face this world with strength, a strength that comes from you. So, God, I pray that prayer over everyone today. I pray your blessing. In our hearts, with this word, thank you for this word for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray and we give thanks. Amen. Amen. Do we have a song to worship? Let's worship together. If you all stand and worship.